Hello and welcome back to the Telly Awards podcast, the podcast that brings together two leaders from the video and television community with similar expertise in different disciplines to share their craft, debate their differences and find common ground in their forms of storytelling. I'm your host, Sabrina Dridge, Executive Director of the Telly Awards. For this conversation, we explore the world of curation and programming between two very large and very well-known organizations. We're joined by Farida Badamozi, film curator and senior programmer at Tribeca Enterprises, as well as Jake Isgar, film programmer from Alamo Drafthouse Cinemas. We discuss their goals and desires as curators to both expose audiences to inclusive, relevant work, while also representing the brands they work for. We also dived into how they think about retaining and growing audiences, as well as what's to come in the programming and exhibition space in the near future. Enjoy the episode. Firstly, welcome, welcome, welcome to Farida, who is Tribeca Enterprises Senior Programmer, and a very warm welcome to Jake, who is a programmer at Alamo Drafthouse. Thank you so much for joining the Telly Awards podcast. Very excited to welcome you both as we explore the similarities and differences of programming within the context of a film festival versus a cinema. We might find it's very similar. We might find it's very different, but this is part of the fun of what we do here on the podcast. So to start, I myself, and I'm sure our entire community finds the work that you do, A, very inspiring. And secondly, the roles that you have are very coveted, I would say, from a kind of career perspective. Um, It would be a wonderful place to start just to hear about how you got to where you got, which I know it's really hard to summarize your life in like three bullet points, but we just love to hear how your life journey has kind of got you into your roles today as a starting point. Frida, maybe we can start with you and just hear about your journey and how you got to Tribeca, where I know you've only been for maybe four months, so it's still kind of new-ish. Yes, I'm still very new to Tribeca, um, but I've been doing programming for a few years now, and I've been in the film festival industry off and on for the last decade. Um, and it is a very roundabout journey because I didn't necessarily study film, but I got into programming in part because I really love looking at the relationship between, uh, culture and film. Uh, uh, I, my background is more sociology. Um, and I had a lot of really great mentors along the way and people who advocated for me, um, who got me my first programming job. So a lot of it was initial unpaid work. And then finally paid work. (laughs) And then just getting the opportunity to program at different festivals. Right before I got to Tribeca, I was also at uh, Outfest. I was the artistic director of Outfest. Um, And from there, I came over to Tribeca. That's amazing. You've done a lot. Jake, how about you? How did you find your way to Alamo? In a very roundabout way. So uh, when when I went to college, I went to Florida State University. And get there first day on campus. And I found out they have an on-campus movie theater, which is just nuts. I'm like, oh, wow, cool. We can just see movies on campus. That's great. But it was all student run. So it was kind of, it really was my crash course in the understanding uh, really how the sausage gets made in terms of exhibition of, hey, it's a group of people making a decision, understanding. We did second run. So it was understanding, you know, when a movie's out of its first release window, when it's made available for us, uh, understanding really all of the same stuff of licensing, how that works, how it's not really arbitrary, like what's made available to you, how to reach a certain audience, in our case, a collegiate audience. And then we, uh, we went to, we did yearly trips to South by Southwest. So one festival we were able to go to, which was a really amazing experience. And we went to 2011, went to South by, and that's where I, first time I visited Austin. And I had heard of, you know, Alamo Drafthouse and heard of other uh, 
great you know, theaters across the country. And it was very inspired by the the type of programming that, that space did, but also just the way it reached its audience and kind of felt like between them and the Austin Film Society and the South by Southwest and Austin Film Festival and just all the different goings on in, in Austin. It was, it was just an amazing opportunity and just to be around a lot of people that had the same energy and enthusiasm. And to Faraday's point, like having, you know, mentors and people along the way that were advocating, advocating for you. I just really enjoyed just being in the thick of it. And uh, Alamo has been a very, very nice home uh, for me for quite some time. Maybe this question feels very self-explanatory, but I know people always ask me, like, what what do you actually do day to day? And I'm like, that's a good question. Um, I used to work in film finance and I used to get that question all the time. Like, what does that actually mean? But would you mind sharing both of you when someone says to you, like, what does it actually mean to be a programmer? What does that mean on a day to day basis? Jake, maybe you could kick off on how you talk about what you spend your your weeks doing. It's it's interesting because I feel like. I feel like it's 24 seven. Like I can't really turn my brain off <laughs> in terms of thinking about programs or thinking about, you know, that, that element of stuff, but I'd say the nuts and bolts of it is uh, pretty clerical and pretty monastic in a particular way. I mean, I'm just mostly, at least from the Alamo side, you know, working on, working on bookings and making sure a lot of information is making to a lot of different parties uh, instead of programming for a single venue. My role is programming for, the majority of our circuit. So just making sure if we do book a title at multiple spaces that the distributor, we get the information from the distributor and from the the people that are you know, issuing the, the content to the venues, making sure it gets there and helping with the marketing, copywriting, uh, whether it's just for, you know, the individual programs I'm working on or just tagging in and helping with, you know, just the general, general campaigns that we do for larger first run stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of emails, <laughs> a lot of Slack, a lot of Airtable and Google Sheets. Oh my goodness, Airtable. But I'd say the watching is uh, pretty minimal for me. And in terms of the percentage of it, it's not just watching movies all day. I wish it was. I wish it was. Farida, how does that resonate with your experience, perhaps as the opposite? I'm clearly watching movies all day. No, <laughs> um, I, uh, I think there's a lot of like, the assumption that most people make is that I watch movies all day, which mm-hmm. I would love to also do. Um, but I think it is a lot of those clerical duties. It's a lot of like checking in on the filmmakers, making sure you're getting all their marketing information, getting their photos, writing descriptions for the films, working with the different teams to make sure that the screenings are full. Um, and yes, also watching movies, but also chasing down movies. Uh, there's lots of chasing down, um, checking in on filmmakers who are alumni, who we really want them to finish their films so we can see their films to see if we can program them. So it's, it's a lot of chasing and sending emails. I feel like I spend more time on emails than I do on watching, <laughs> <laughs> which is not what I thought when I first became a programmer. Right. I was like, this is going to be great. Uh, now I'm just like really well familiar with Outlook now. Like if yes. anyone ever wants help navigating Outlook, I feel like I know every nook and cranny of that particular software. But it's really cool though, because I'm also in communication with filmmakers about their titles. I get to see films before everyone else does, which is really dope. And get to just like have like just the opportunity to be in the middle of the world. But like I feel like anyone who gets into the film industry realizes that so much of the world isn't just the creating or the watching. It's all the clerical elements. It's still financially a business uh and figuring out how to make that mm-hmm. pair that with the act of creating art is kind of 
I think the in-between drive that we're actually doing a lot of the time. Well, that brings me to the next piece, which is kind of on a day-to-day basis, you're both working for internationally known brands and institutions. So when you're thinking about the brands that you're working with, I think brand maybe isn't the right, let's say institutions, the institutions that you're working for, A, how would you define them? You know, when someone says an Alamo program, we kind of have a sense of what that means and the same with Tribeca. So day-to-day when you're thinking about programming, how much are you thinking about the institution you're working for? Obviously, with you having moved around from festival to festival, that probably looks very different for each one. But for Tribeca now, how much is it important that when you're thinking about the things that you're programming, that it relates back to what is a quote-unquote Tribeca brand? If that exists, maybe I'm projecting that, but curious to hear what you what you think. So I have a probably non-film uh, school approach to film, which is that film is, yes, about the creator, but it's also about the audience. And you, someone asked me once in a world in which we're getting so many movies that are online and you're having conversations about what's a film versus what's television. Um, what, how do you define film? One of the things that I said was that it's a medium designed for the intention of communal consumption. Like the goal is to have a group of people watch it and communicate and engage with it um, uh, as a group. So like one of the things that I'm thinking of constantly is like, what does the Tribeca audience want? Um, and I think whenever you work at a festival, one of the things you are thinking about is what is the audience of that festival and what do they actually want to see? So I feel like I'm constantly thinking about the Tribeca brand and the Tribeca audience and what they want to see, because I feel like that is what we're doing. We're we're in the exhibition business, similar to Alva, like, and our goal is to serve that audience as much as it is to serve the filmmakers. And the best way we can serve filmmakers is to get them in a room of people who really want to be there and to see that film. We know who can champion that work for that film beyond that. So I think I'm constantly thinking about it, but not in like a corporate sense, but like more in a how do I serve the filmmakers and save the audience at the same time? Yeah, that's like, that's the exact same approach. <laughs> so we were talking about similarities and differences. I mean, that you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think that that of reacting to the feeling in the room, it's understanding who you're getting in and how they're feeling and, and what that, that is. So I, I think with Alamo in particular, I call it in a lot of ways the dream factory because it means a lot to a lot of different people. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, we have a bunch of different locations, a lot of different, in a lot of different markets and someone's individual experience of, hey, I've been going to the Alamo in Raleigh since it opened in 2017, 2018 is radically different than my experience when I was in Austin. And it was the, you know, the theaters that had been around since 2005 or 2011 or not 2001 or you can, we all can 10 people, you put 10 people in a room and they can all just decide what to watch separately in any other space and they can metabolize it and be part of their person. That's fine. But if they don't have another person to share it with, or if it's just kind of this like loose detritus of, I saw this thing on streaming or I saw this thing at 2am, I don't know what to do with it. It's just there. But when you can be with a bunch of people and you can connect with them over these, not just direct shared experiences, but understanding there are other people that are like you that may have seen the same things or can share uh, different experiences in that in that way and, and have like a not a salon but have like a a welcome space for everybody it's the dream and I, and I feel like uh alamo i've been to m- multiple spots with alamo I've been to many many theaters and I, I really appreciate that that quality i think it does it better than most places and I, that's 
what I think about every day is how can we preserve that experience of the excitement of going to see something, experiencing it together with other people. Definitely. Because obviously we can't talk about programming without talking about audience development. And you talked a bit about your role is kind of to put people in positions that may be uncomfortable, but that kind of aligns with what they were looking for. But in both of your situations, how much are you hoping to retain who you know your audience base is, but also try and expand it to new audiences? Is that like a hard and fast, like you're sticking to who you know will come and, and enjoy? Or how much can you push those parameters in, in new directions? Whether that could be, I guess in your case, Jake, maybe each location has a different audience. So maybe that feels a bit different. Maybe in festivals, it's each strand is attracting a different audience. I'm just curious about how you think about retaining your core audience versus building and amplifying and, and bringing in new, new observers into that fold. I feel like at Tribeca, we're always trying to do both. <laughs> um, one of the things that we, I mean, one of the, the best things about being in New York City is that you have that opportunity to play around with audience and like in a way that you sometimes can't do in other places because like New York's this massive amalgamation of like so many different types of audiences, so many different voices that we can kind of really uh, figure out ways to like bring those different uh, audiences in the same way like the subway brings in so many different types of people. I, I like to think of like the Tribeca audience as the subway audience where you're getting so many people from very different walks of life into a room to engage and watch a film, which leaves a lot of room for like retention, of course, but also finding new voices. Um, we actually are now Tribeca Festival because we've added different strands because one of the things that we are as an organization is a storytelling organization. So we also have our audio division, which looks at podcasting. We also have our games and immersive group. And then we also have our music. Um, we started a music, we, we brought back our music lounge this past festival. So one of the things that we're really interested in is how do we get these audiences that love different forms of storytelling to see that like each one of these forms of storytelling is a space that they can actually be in. Like the, the person who's going to see a uh, really dope music Brooklyn act, um, it can also come see a really out there horror film and that's the same person. And Tribeca is really about honing that. And instead of seeing them as completely separate audiences, how do we get them all to exist in the same space and see the value of storytelling? So I think we're always in this space of, yes, we love the audiences we have, but we know that there's also so many other people who have not been exposed um, to the to storytelling the way that we view it. And we want them to come in and see films as well. So I feel like we're constantly playing this game of how do we both keep the people who are here and also bring in this new audience, especially because we're in this like beautiful city that is New York City, um, that gives us the opportunity to really play around. Like we can really get out there <laughs> and play around with the different things that we can do because we are blessed with the New York audience. For you at Tribeca then, are you working in concert with your colleagues in other departments and constantly that conversation is happening as a collaborative effort then? Yeah, it is. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy about working about Tribeca is this idea that we're all in it together, that each one of the departments is really here to push this, that we're all working in connection with one another to like, build the best possible audiences for our filmmakers and to build the best possible experience for our audiences. Like it is in collaboration, not in contention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a really great uh, feeling when you're working in an organization where you get to do that. Definitely. What about you, Jake Alamo? 
That's a, yeah, that's a good, it's a really good question. I, I think that the one thing with year round programming, and especially if we're, you know, hinging ourselves around major first run, like big to do releases, as well as putting our, trying to support as many specialty and art house films. And what I try to focus on are titles that come from festivals and getting them just any theatrical. So it could just be one-offs or it could be things like that. Like, it's just, how do we, how do you do that? In some locations, you know, it just depends on the screen space. So we have a Brooklyn location, which is one of the the highest performing theaters in the country on new re- like specialty new releases. So if you have larger distributors or like a, like a focus features or an A24 or neon, you know, they want to open a movie in New York, you go to Manhattan, you can open it at the Angelica, you can open, you know, at the, all these spaces, but you go to Brooklyn too, if you want to post the monster gross. Uh, and to, to Faraday's point, like the Brooklyn locations now be square. Like you get everybody, our entire model is based on flexibility and one thing that we do with our programming that I that I think is how we do audience development and how we kind of push forward and also maintain folks is still in this day and age, regardless, we still focus on having a single screen at each location that we can program with special events. So if we have a 10 screen location, nine of those are going to be new releases, but one of them is our flex screen. And that's where we can try things where, you know, if a certain week it's a big family title coming out, but there isn't, we were trying to, you know, we know that that audience is coming to the theater, then it's like, okay, well, let's get something weird in there for the late round, for the late shows. Like, let's do, let's do something where we can kind of push things in that way. So we want to develop, I think, individual identities for each venue, understand, you know, the audience where they're at, that that's, you know, demographic data, that's, you know, looking at um, uh, just what other theaters are in the area, the sort of competition, as it were, but also just understanding, you know, what are the core elements of our brand and it's food, fun, and film, and also understanding the labor that goes into that work. I mean, we have servers and bartenders and, and runners and people that are in the theater through that whole experience and doing that. So in addition to just thinking about the movie that's on screen, the overall experience, so much of it is that you have this small army that's providing this experience for people and keeping that in mind in terms of what to play. There's some cases where like, I might not play Satan Tango, which bums me out. Because I really like that movie. It's I'm not going to play an eight-hour, mostly silent movie when there's food service. Because also the audience (laughs) probably is not looking to go to us for that, unfortunately. Or I'm not going to play like Jacques Rivette's Out One. But, you know, there are other places for that. But they will come to us for, you know, we get a new restoration of Roadhouse. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, understanding where we are in that space, you know. So, yeah. Well, I hate to bring what's been kind of, curatorial conversation about this to something a bit more business and I'm sorry to switch to this but I am when you're speaking I'm so curious to hear what in terms of the data you're looking at to know who audiences are what tools are at hand for that like how do you know who your demographics are and how is that being kind of filtered through to you on the programming side so we have a whole audience development department <laughs> so um and and then of course we have our marketing team so like we are constantly checking in on what films have done well not done well trying to get that information back to us uh looking at uh i mean we do year-round programming as well so we'll have screenings in which we're also asking for feedback we're sending lots of surveys out um to kind of ask because we want to know what the audiences want to see more of at tribeca um the origin of tribeca was a space that was created for the sake of like revitalizing an area and serving that community. So one of the things that 
we are centered on is how do we continue to serve our audiences and serve that community, even if it's not necessarily in New York. We just did an event at our Basel, uh, which was uh, led by uh, our amazing music programmer. We did music programming at our Basel, um, Vincent Kasu. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. <laughs> but like we, and we had Chance the Rapper there, we had Flying Lotus there. And that's because we know that some of our audience is going there. So like one of the things that we're constantly looking for is new opportunities to serve our audience. I think that's a lot of the work that we're doing with our marketing team. But in terms of like what works and what doesn't work, I mean, we use traditional tools. We're always like tracking um, how many seats are being filled, uh, what are the numbers for each screening. Um, we do an audience award, which also helps to see which ones our, our audiences in general are enjoying more, what sort of films are doing well in that kind of way. So it kind of helps us. We're in constant conversation with our audience to kind of see what they want to see and what they don't want to see. We recently changed our dates to June, which is a far more audience-friendly date. Um, as anyone knows, the weather in New York is a little bit all over the place, but June's just hot. But it's not like the sort of hot where you have to leave town. Yeah. So well, <laughs> yeah. this gives us an opportunity to really get, and New Yorkers love going out and having events to go to. So we are really excited to be in June. Um, I think this past June was our second highest ticket sales in the history of the festival. And we just moved to June. So one of the things that we are constantly trying to be is in conversation with our audience is what works best for them, even when it comes to operational decisions like moving um, our dates, uh, which we did initially for COVID reasons. Um, but we're really happy about it because our audiences are really enjoying these new dates um, and really engaging with the films. And that's the thing that we're constantly looking at. What are the opportunities for us? to really connect with our audiences. Well, moving on from kind of your work in relation to the places you're working for, you touched on it a little bit earlier, Frida, but in terms of what's your personal goal when you're programming work? Is it, you know, bringing fresh voices to new audiences? Is it bringing work that people wouldn't normally see? What is your personal goal? And I wonder how much agency you have to bring those personal goals in your day-to-day -day work? Maybe the index could be linked, I'm not sure, but I'm curious to, to hear about that. I feel like I have a more populist approach to film than some other programmers might have. It's like one of the things that I personally strive for is to be in conversation with my audience, not necessarily dictate or teach my audience. Because um, I feel like I have as much to learn from my audience as the audience has to learn from my understanding of film. So I'm always just trying to find films that I feel create a conversation um in which the audience has an opportunity to like uh engage like uh so it's it's less of like ooh i want them to see this side of the world because i assume that none of them have i'm more like i want to share this story because i feel like this will be something that's engaging yes i love when i watch a film and i've like never seen it before or they've never done a technique before or anything like that and i feel like filmmakers are constantly being like you have to be cutting edge but the things that like the films that I really find interesting are the ones in which I just see a clarity of vision. So it doesn't have to be like the absolute best, like the newest thing, or I've never seen anything possibly like it. But like what I'm actually seeing is someone who has a strong voice and something they really, a story that they really want to tell or, or a vision that they really want to get across. And I've, and they do it well and they do it in such a way that I know audiences can engage with. And I feel like personally for me, those are the sort of stories that I like to prioritize where I just know what the director's going for. It's clear or like there's a clarity of like what they wanted to do. And I really like that. And then like personally, my goal is always just to create access. 
Like I got into this out of the industry, not because I'm like trying to find the next best thing, but I like, I feel like my job as a programmer, as a curator is to open doors, um, especially at a festival. Like my job is to open doors and allow people to walk through that door and decide what they want to do. Uh, I used to joke that like, sometimes people walk through the door and they go, Oh God, I hate this room. And then walk right back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is totally fine. I just want to create the opportunity for someone to make that choice rather than like be the one who's picking every single one of those. Like just give people the opportunity to connect with that audience and see if this is what it is that they want to do, if this is the way they want to sell, tell stories and to be a kind of broker of change. I love that. I think that's what guides me when I choose phones. Like um, it's not a person who has the most polished look, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a person for whom I'm like, this person would, given the right resources, could like blow the world away maybe in the future if they chose to. Um, and I want to be in a position to be one of those resources. I love that. And that feels like very much me personally, I would go to Joe Becker to see work like that. So it actually kind of feels like that fits well into the ethos of, of there anyway. What about you, Jake? Yeah, I mean, I, I think clarity of vision is the perfect term. I totally agree with that. I, I think that one thing uh, I really love and appreciate about Alamo and the part that kind of got me invested in what what I try to further both personally and like a, a vestige of like cinema history is the is exploitation and outsider art like things that were either disregarded or people that were working in the margins or that were working in forms uh, that maybe people disregarded at the time, but there's like genuine, there's something in there. I think what I, what I find appealing, what I really like to do is, you know, focus on things that are not just idiosyncratic, but remind people if they haven't seen this work for the first time, or it's them revisiting that work for the first time, it's it's a mark in time, both a mark in where you where you're at currently in your life and how you in the sort of dream space can think about that as it's as it through the work as it's happening. And maybe it's something you've seen a million times, but it hits you a certain way, seeing it theatrically with an audience at this point in your life. When you see something that touches, uh, you know, made you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, or even 10 years ago, that touches on a lot of these same uh, issues and subject matters and stuff, and you realize not only am I not alone in worrying about this, but this is something that's been going on for a long time mm-hmm. that's coming in in different forms. So I feel like with repertory cinema in particular, it's how can you speak to the current moment? And how do you bring those sort of things out there? Like nothing, the past is never really past. These things are never really dead. That's, that's what, that's kind of a personal mission. But I also feel like with Alamo, we kind of, the brand was built out of that specific experience, like of, of treating filmmakers like Doris Wishman or Russ Meyer or Al Adamson or uh, Frederick Hobbs or people that were regional regional filmmakers, people that worked in, you know, sex exploitation or, or people that, you know, again, worked in disreputable stuff or to, to other folks that are still, you're still finding things in there. Like I can't do the work that I do if it weren't for the work that uh, Farida does in bringing that into a festival and bringing it to that first wide group of like first audience and understanding that that's out there and creating the marketplace for it. Like, unfortunately there is a literal marketplace of buying and selling of like, how is this going to get from A to B? If something plays the festival circuit, what festivals does it play? Like, does it get them a sales agent that could get them a distributor that could then get to me (laughs) or, or people in my stock of like, Hey, you really have to see this or, you know, being friends and colleagues with other people in the festival world of, you know, keep an eye on this whenever it happens or this filmmaker did this here and do this. So it's, 
creating a space where all of these things can speak similar languages and the audiences can jump back and forth between them is what's important. That's that, that powers me every day. Yeah. It's a whole interconnected ecosystem and it works all together seamlessly, which actually leads me to my kind of final question or thought is that the systems that you work in have been kind of maybe the same for years and years in terms of how this all works, how films get from A to Z to B and to audiences. Do you foresee any big changes coming in the future that might kind of disrupt the kind of systems and ecosystem that you're working in? I can take that one. The pandemic already did that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. The, pandem- the pandemic already disrupted our system. Though I would joke, I, would, I think the thing everyone's kind of agreed on is that the disruption was more just like a speeding up of a process that was already happening. This is all stuff that we were all thinking about, I think. Um, we're seeing distribution fundamentally change. We are, I mean, we're in a period of time in which we're seeing a bunch of layoffs at a lot of different companies. Um, and people are saying that they're not really doing new work next year. And um, I think there was this, uh, and we're seeing the circuit change. I mean, we changed our dates. Lots of festivals changed their dates. Um, some festivals have are gone. Um, when Edinburgh closed, it like blew my mind because that festival has been around for so long. Um, and other festivals have said that they're, the regional fests have said that they are no longer going to either come back next year or come back in general. So what we're seeing is like the industry is kind of in, tomorrow's not the wrong word. It's kind of in a, it's just, a, it's in transition. So I think one of the things is like, I would love to sit here and be like, I know exactly what's going to, the end product's going to look like. And I think anyone who tells you they know what the end product's uh, going to look like is selling you snake oil. I think I think the entire industry is fundamentally trying to figure out what this new world means. What does it mean when we finally do have an audience that in the United States that like is actually engaging with foreign content, but not the content we thought that they would originally, mm-hmm, uh, which mm-hmm. is dope for me because I've been watching Korean dramas since I was like 16. So like, <laughs> it's like cool to see them be really popular, but it's also like completely mind blowing to see how quickly that happened. It feels like. So I think there's this, it's a really exciting time to be a programmer um, because like you are, you really do get to play around with like uh, what sort of stories are being centered and what stories are not being centered and what audiences are looking for and what they're not looking for. And it is, uh, it's a learning period for me as a programmer because like the audiences are changing, especially this younger generation and the way that they engage with films and the films they do engage with and the way they don't movie stars are complicated and not don't work the same way i'm not going to quote tarantino but like movie stars don't quite work the same way <laughs> the way they used to like distribution is hard for everybody lots of filmmakers are trying to figure out how to do it on their own film festivals are actively trying to figure out how to be part of that conversation how do we serve the filmmakers i think one of the things film festivals are really trying to do and trying to like push is this idea that we are we are champions of your film but we're also champions of your career like we our goal is to help you become a filmmaker as a career, not just push out a film. So what are the ways in which we can be a tool for you to find the rest of your film team for your next film? How do we build a space where uh, you are able to talk about your new projects? We can help find you collaborators by you coming to the festivals and creating this kind of networking space to build that for filmmakers. Uh, I think there's very much an understanding, especially in the pandemic, when we all turn to art, um, to films, to television, in the face of like the the global anxiety that we are still under. 
um, how do we then create this space in which filmmakers get to see the longevity of their career? And I think that's where film festivals are really going to be leaning into. How do we help in that transition? Because I think that is the conversation a lot of filmmakers are navigating now. Um, how do I sustain myself while doing this, while creating art? Um, just because there's a lot more people getting into the industry and thankfully doors are starting to open for them. But how do you maintain that? Because it is hard to maintain since so much of what's been done in the past has been focused on getting people in, but how do you get people to stay? Um, how do you get people to financially sustain themselves within it? And I think that's kind of the next step and that's where film festivals were kind of working towards. That's very exciting and necessary. Absolutely. I mean, I think so much of it, it's just there are economic forces that are out of our control and we have to maneuver around, right? Like you mentioned the the layoffs come from mass media consolidation of people deciding, you know, that we they want to capture market share in things. I mean, theatrically, I mean, during the during the pandemic, I, I mean, the Alamo survived thankfully, but they had to get really, really spendthrift and incredibly small. So I, you know, was was laid off along with many other colleagues like the day that theaters closed basically, and they kept us in the loop. But you know, you're kind of watching from afar. And I mean, maintaining a relationship and came back to work with them in, in a couple different capacities, leading back to here. Um, but, you know, seeing the day and date strategy that Warner Warner's put out specifically of, you know, we're going to release any of our movies on, you know, the HBO Max platform and theatrical. It's basically saying like, oh, we as a company have decided that growing our subscriber base for streaming is more important at the expense of theatrical revenue and directing audience behavior towards staying at home and doing this. And that that's a conscious decision that, you know, is actually now it's being backtracked and people are trying to figure out what to do there because, you know, uh, the, the streaming economy and the subscription economy or that sort of financialization is different than the, it's a it's it's a direct consumer model it's versus you know having a third part a vendor an exhibition vendor you go you can go see it in theaters and have this experience and a split of that money goes to the theater and the distributor and all so it just changes all of that so I think that like anything else the the global anxiety that you mentioned Farrah is definitely there I think like just mentally and emotionally and like figuring out like it's tough to have a job where people are wondering if it's going to exist, if the interest in doing this is going to exist. But I do think that at the end of the day, though, it still comes of, you know, we, we how do we fit into the the world creatively and how do we fit into the world in, into an industry? So the literal industry, there's that, there's that element of it. And it's what can we do to make it, to make it better and also react to the moment and, and try to, you know, try new things. Like it was necessary at that time, but it also, let people know kind of similar to filmmakers looking for their own sources of funding there are alternate means of distribution there are alternate models you don't need to have a movie play four shows a day all day for a week and then look through it for it to be successful We're, we have to keep our keep our brains open and, and stay like limber and flexible in terms of what is happening that's outside of our control and what can we control is how can we get people in and we get people in by providing a great experience for them people want to come to come to specific spaces as you know art spaces community spaces and just hangouts and i don't know that's the dream i don't know just having a spot where you can hang and feel comfortable and you know be a person agreed thank you both so much for joining us today really have enjoyed this conversation um thoroughly enjoyed the work that you do and um just wishing you the best of luck for whatever 2023 brings to you creatively and personally so thank you again for joining thank you thanks this was great we really appreciate your time and 
and everything, truly. This episode was produced by Dina Graham. Our editor is Alex Healy. Music is by Yulas Pekan. You can find us on all social platforms at Telly Awards, and I'm your host, Sabrina Dridge, and this is the Telly Awards podcast. 